Cinema Jaws brought to you by the Lagunitas Brewing Company. The Lagunitas Brewing Company's Chicago Tap Room and Beer Sanctuary. Come for fresh beer, live music, and killer food Wednesdays through Sundays, noon to 9 p.m. Bring your group and hop on a brewery tour seven days a week. Swing by the Lagunitas Tap Room in Pilsen or find some near you at lagunitas.com. Life is uncertain. Don't sip. And we thank them for their support. Listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location at Cards Against Humanity in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is Rye the Movie Guy, and sitting inside the glass, right over there, is Filmy and Phil. How's it going, guys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we put the spotlight on the ladies as we cover our top five female-led comedies. Brilliant, Ryan. I'm very excited for this. It's it's a it's a great list. It is. We're doing this because there is a, a, a comedy that has two leading ladies that we're going to review on this show that we want to cast a spotlight on the movie itself. Yeah, yeah. There's a big uh, kerfuffle on social media that this movie is is unfairly being trampled by the summer tent poles, and uh, we'll, we'll get to that. But it's definitely a good movie and, and one worth talking about. Absolutely. Um, besides that... We have some other things going on, do we not, Phil? Yeah, we're also going to be going eye for an eye on Dark Phoenix tonight. And we have reviews of Booksmart and Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Yes, not to mention we have a great guest who's going to be calling in via Skype. Yeah, Bob Hercules, documentarian, Peabody Award winning documentarian and filmmaker. Can't wait to talk to Bob. Yeah, can't wait to talk to Bob. He's got a great filmography. Wonderful documentaries that highly recommend the Jawheads checking out. Indeed, I agree. Since Bob will be joining us, and since we are going eye for an eye on Dark Phoenix Mm -hmm. this week on Cinema Jaw, we will be playing bird movie trivia. All right. See what I did there? Because Phoenix is a bird. Yeah. So think of various birds in in the movie title. Did you ever get pooped on by a bird, like just Uh, flying overhead? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, it's happened. They say it's good luck in certain cultures. Well, that's good. Yeah, I don't believe it. I no. mean, I always think it's kind of a rotten thing. They just tried to take something rotten and turn it into something good. I guess. You know, you got to look on the bright side, Ryan. Mm. So, so what else we got going on? Well, it is, believe it or not, June, the sixth month of how, the year. How about that for a segue? The bird poop segue. Yep. Got to move on somehow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is the sixth month of the year. It is June, so we also have a new theme and a new riddle as we, well, We Matt. do, we do. So we're going to get it started with a new theme. Okay. Uh, we wrapped up last week our Keanu Reeves month, oh. and what a month it was. Boy, howdy. If I had to sum it up in one word, it would be... Whoa. Whoa. Right. Yeah. See what I did there? I do. Yeah. This month, we have a new theme, and, yeah. and I'm excited for this one. No handy catchphrase here, but I'm excited too. This is one of my favorite actors. She is 58 years old. Which surprised me. I did. I, I would not have guessed that. She is five foot eleven. Very tall. Very tall. She is one of the best actresses working today. No arguments here. Ladies and gentlemen, jawheads around the world, the month of June, Cinema Jaw is celebrating Tilda Swinton. I'm excited for this. Yes. It's a good one. Yeah. 
Agreed. very excited to celebrate Tilda Swinton all Maybe month. Maybe our best theme so far. Oh, I'm, I'm pumped because she has a great filmography, and she's someone I want to learn more about with some interesting facts. So let's start there, Phil. Yes. Did you know Tilda Swinton and Marion Cotillard are the only two actors to ever get a Golden Globe, BAFTA, SAG, and Critics' Choice nomination for any particular role, but for that same role did not receive an Oscar nomination? And, really? Uh, yeah. Marion Cotillard was uh, for her performance in Rust and Bone, and Tilda Swinton did not receive an Oscar nomination, but everything else for We Need to Talk About Kevin. <gasps> I think the Academy needs to step its wow. game up. Didn't get a domination from the, the Academy. I for, don't know what they were thinking. We Need to Talk About Kevin. That was an awesome performance. We Need to Talk About the Academy. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. She did win an Academy Award for Michael Clayton. She did. So, um, yeah, we're going to have interesting facts. We are going to have some trivia and we're going to play some clips all month of June with Tilda Swinton. It's a fantastic month. I, I'm looking forward to this. Yes, and speaking of a, a new theme, we have a new riddle for June. I love the beginning of the month. It's a lot to do here yeah. on Cinema Jaw. So let's remind the Jawheads what the May riddle was. The May riddle was this. Once I was a loner, then I had 500 million friends. I watched them all closely with the help of Hoover. I've been called by another name and fought for gender equality, too. I like hotels overseas, and I sound like a baking product. Apologies for this interruption, but who am I? All right. Tyler DeSoto wrote in to us. He said, guys, at the beginning of the month, I heard 500 million friends and thought social network, but Jesse Eisenberg and Andrew Garfield didn't fit the bill. It wasn't until last week's episode that I caught the pardon the interruption clue where I realized who it was army hammer a personal favorite of mine he was a lone ranger he was the lone ranger he was a loner in lone ranger he had 500 million friends as the Winklevoss twins in the social network he had Hoover's help in J Edgar Timothy Charlemagne called him Elio in call me by your name he fought for gender equality in on the basis of sex he stayed at hotels in Mumbai his name is literally a baking soda, and the giveaway for me was, pardon the interruption, is a clue for the movie Sorry to Bother You. Yep. Awesome Well one. done. He, he got them all. He did. Uh, he goes on to say, this is only my second time writing in about the riddle, though I have figured it out a few times. Love your show. You two have been a weekly part of my life for around five years now, wow. which Dude, is crazy. Honored. Thank you. I wanted to add something about Best Friends episode. As a Wes Anderson fan, I immediately thought of the original Best Friends, Anthony and Dignan from Bottle Rocket. That's a good one. It is. Yeah. Good call, Tyler. Definitely. Uh, I like that. So uh, with that, let me reach into the jaw hat and pull out a winner. And the winner of the May Riddle is Brian Fontanilla of Oakland, California. All right. Congratulations, Brian. Yeah. Write us. Uh, you can either get a prize pack or take Matt on in trivia. Hey, Brian, take me on. I think it's, <laughs> it's fun, you know? All right. That brings us to the June Riddle. All right. Here it is Here. for the Jawheads. Here we go. This riddle is not a dream, nor is it impossible to solve. You know that I have acted on stage with Michael Keaton. You know that when I was young, I was married to Ben Stiller. Hell, you even know the weight of my soul. I've had jungle time with Jack Black, and now that you've heard this riddle, you have seven days to answer it. Who am I? If you know the answer to the June riddle, 
write us. Feedback at cinemajot.com. You can win a prize pack or take Matt on in trivia. Yeah, do it, guys. It's fun. All right, Matt. So without further ado, we bring in our guest via Skype, Bob Hercules. Peabody Award-winning filmmaker is joining us. Bob, welcome to Cinema Jaw. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. You're calling us from, I believe, beautiful Evanston, Illinois. I am. I've lived up here for about 26 years. It really is nice up there. I live in Rogers Park, so we're neighbors. Yeah. Yes, we are. And I understand you actually were shooting something today, uh, even further north. I was up in Lake Forest doing a film about a mansion that's called the Gatsby Mansion. It was the mansion that inspired F. Scott Fitzgerald's vision of a mansion for the great Gatsby. It's a real house. It's a real mansion that this young couple has bought. It was in terrible disrepair, and they're fixing it up. So I'm making a film about the renovation of this very rundown yet very esteemed mansion. Well, wow. that's that's pretty cool. Any any like yeah. secret passageways or like Al Capone's vault or things you find in the walls, anything like that? Well, actually, what we revealed today was the wife made a secret uh, place for her husband's safe. He did not know about it. He, I guess, he secretly wanted some kind of secret door. And so she created that today, and she unveiled it to him today. That's what, part of why I was filming today. That's awesome. So it's very cool. I mean, you can't own a giant famous mansion and not put in a few little tricks and secrets. Absolutely. You've got to have it. Yeah, so uh, take us back to the beginning at the, uh, the start of your career. You've been making documentary films for, for quite a long time now. This is, this is a long-running career you got going, Bob. Yeah, let's face it, I'm old. So I, <laughs> I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to say uh, that. <laughs> I started, um, I basically moved to Chicago in 1984 and pretty much started making uh, film, not just documentaries, but other kinds of films as well since about 84. So I guess it's been about 35 years of making films. Many of them, I'm proud to say, have been independent films which is very important to me to have my own voice and to be able to make films on my own terms. But the downside is you have to raise your own money for those kind of films. So it has its ups and downs, basically. Well, that's sort of getting easier these days. Do you, do you find that to be the case with all the uh, online tools like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, these types of things? Um, well, I guess yes and no. I mean, number one, there's way more filmmakers out there than when I started. So the competition for money is, is very fierce. Sure. And so it's hard. In some ways it's harder to raise money for films. On the other hand, um, there are obviously more opportunities by all the digital networks, the Netflixes and the Amazon, it's, you know, uh, Hulu. Um, and also the tools for making films has it's been revolutionized really by the advent of digital technology and now what we have today. I mean, you can edit on your laptop, you could shoot on an iPhone, you know. I mean, the the cost of getting into the game has come way down from when I started, and that's been a great, I think that's liberating for a lot of people. That's so awesome. There are many, many great things about it, I think. Yeah. We're sort of, we, we had Don uh, Gordon Quinn and several other documentarians recently and it just yeah. seems it seems to be like like a golden age almost for for docs. I mean, you're right. There is just more audience because of all the the platforms. Yeah. yeah. 
You know, I mean, documentaries have become, have really caught on. I went to the Sundance Film Festival uh, a couple of years ago with my film, my Angelo, but the opening night film of Sundance in 2016 was a documentary about Norman Lear. Now think about it. The opening night film of Sundance, which is a highly cherished, sought-after placement, sure. was a documentary that year, which was unheard of before. I think we're seeing more and more documentaries in theaters, of course, on all the cable channels and all the digital uh, streaming channels. Um, it, it is kind of a golden age of documentary. And I do want to give a shout-out to Gordon Quinn because he was basically my mentor and is uh, one of my best friends. So uh, I'm, I'm glad he was on this show. Yeah. He's a tremendous, tremendous uh, filmmaker. Yeah, and he's a vault of knowledge. I, I love talking to him. He's amazing. He is. Yeah. And and I have to say what Cartemquin Films has done over the, you know, 50, 60 years, whatever they've been, uh, has been just astounding to me. They've, they've groomed so many young filmmakers to become really great filmmakers. And it's just, uh, there's nothing, they just won a Peabody last week. For which film? Institutional Peabody. For, no, no, an institutional Peabody. Oh, institutional. Okay. For their whole organization. Oh, wow. wow. So, uh, they deserve it, they, yeah. They just, they totally deserve it, yeah. Yeah, and, awesome. and you're right. I mean, not to not to harp too much on Cardemquin, but but guys like Bing Liu who are just, you know, sort of cutting their teeth and, and do that with the support of Cardemquin, and lo and behold, they, they reach the, the big stage at the Oscars. So, uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. We're yeah. big fans. So you mentioned your film, uh, Maya Angelou, And I Still Rise, which played at Sundance, not only Sundance, something like 150 film fests, I think, around the country yeah i mean that was as i tell people that was my greatest hit <laughs> so that was a film i co-directed with a woman named rita coburn whack and um it was a great project i mean number one nobody had ever made a film about my angelo how is so that possible we, that it seems unreal for as interesting and you know that she is yeah, I mean, I wondered about that when I first started, but I, I talked to Maya about that, and she said, basically, she said she didn't really, there weren't the right people. She didn't trust the people, or she felt it was the wrong network, or it wasn't time yet, or any number of things. So we had a, a great situation where Rita had been her radio producer for Oprah Radio, and then I showed her some of my films. I think she was particularly taken with a film I made a few years ago with Gordon Quinn, actually, called A Good Man, which is about the choreographer Bill T. Jones, the New York choreographer, who's very political. And, um, you know, she really, uh, she loved that film. So, and then also the third thing was I had a connection with the, the, the show American Masters, the PBS series. Mm -hmm. And so we, we knew it would air on American Masters, and that was another factor that, weighed her opinion i think that it would be a, cl a very classy uh network to be on a classy show so it was it all kind of came together i guess we were in the right place at the right time and it was great to have her blessing to do this film and luckily she's in the film quite a bit she passed away in the middle of making the film because it took about five years but there's a lot of I mean, if you've seen the film, and she's she basically narrates the film, you could say, yeah, by virtue of all the interviews we did with her. So it was a great experience. And and you have a host of big names in the film because 
somebody of her influence, people are probably more willing to be part of the project than actually, you know, do an interview and, and speak well of her, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, not, not that we were trying to be like name droppers or celebrity chasers or anything, but, you know, those were her cohorts. <laughs> I mean, Lou Gossett and Cicely Tyson and Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and, you know, uh, uh, John Singleton, <laughs> Oprah Winfrey, on and on and on. All those people were her friends or collaborators, and um, they all w uh, they were all excited to be in the film. It was very easy to, you know, it wasn't like a hard ask. I mean, this was going to be the first film and really the, the definitive film about Maya Angelou, and all those people uh, readily agreed to be in the film, and they were great. They were great storytellers. I loved doing those interviews. They were just amazing storytellers. It was so much fun. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the film myself. Uh, something Thank I you. wanted... Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, something I wanted to ask you, kind of going back to the beginning, uh, what was it that, that first got you interested in making documentaries or, or filming in general? Mm. Well, they're two separate things because I got into filmmaking uh, actually when I was in high school. I bought a, uh, I kind of randomly bought a Super 8 movie camera and uh, I started using it and I didn't really know what I was doing. But um, something about it, I can't even define it really, something about it clicked with me and shooting and I don't know, uh, using it as a storytelling device. I was a writer primarily. Um, but I really, I, I just, I can't even put it into words why something struck me about the camera and I just basically stuck with it. Um, but I also, um, always have been a writer and in a way I almost feel like I'm more of a writer than a filmmaker, but, um, I always wrote stories. So it was just a great, you know, merger of those two things, but why documentary is a different answer in some ways, because as I got into college, late in college, and after college, and I went to film school, I became more and more politicized, basically, and I became more and more interested in social justice issues. And I saw film, which I was by then pretty heavily into, I saw filmmaking and doing social justice work as kind of merging, and the merger of that was basically the documentary format. And so I, I, that's why I kind of gravitated towards documentary because I was always interested in those issues. And, but I was also interested in stories. So trying to, to make, I don't know, kind of put a spotlight on those issues through storytelling and through film. Also, at that point, film and TV was, of course, the, the main medium that how most people receive their stories at this point. Sure. You know, not as many people read. Uh, so they watch shows or they watch movies. So those were all things, I guess, in my mind at the time. Yeah. I was going to ask, uh, looking at some of your subjects of these documentaries, uh, obviously we mentioned Maya Angelou and Bill T. Jones, and the list goes on. Where do you uh, and how do you get the idea to make a documentary about each subject? Because these films probably overlap constantly. Um, Maya Angelou, you just mentioned, took about five years. So are, are yeah. you always on the outlook for the next subject? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, I'm always looking at uh, what would be my next film. And um, some of those films came to me, and some of those I pursued. Like Maya Angelou was an idea that I had, 
and coincidentally, Rita also had the same idea at the same time. Uh, whereas Bill T. Jones was brought to me by Gordon Quinn and by Cartemquin. That was a project that they had initiated, and Gordon brought me into it. So every film is a little different how, how uh, it begins, but a lot of them were my ideas. I did a film a few years ago uh, back in 2006 called Forgiving Dr. Mengele, and that was a film that was brought to me. It was about a woman who survived the horrors of Auschwitz. She was a twin. She and her sister were twins, and their family sent to Auschwitz. And the only reason she was kept alive was because she and her sister were twins, and they were experimented on yeah. by the evil Dr. Joseph Mengele, who many of your listeners know about. Um, but the story really is about how she came to forgive Mengele and the Nazi perpetrators, and it was an extraordinary story, and that was brought to me by a woman named Sherry Pugh, nobody, I mean, not famous person, but somebody that was introduced to me by a, a you know, a, a friend of hers, and, um, you know, it, it was an incredible story for a film, so we, we, we joined forces and did it. Again, that took about five years wow. to make, so a lot of these films take time, partly due to I think partly due to the fundraising problems as you're getting into these films, you raise you know so much money, you can do so much shooting and you kind of run out of money and you have to raise more money. And it's a, it's a constant uh, issue, I think, with, with many independent filmmakers. I could imagine. Yeah. There, there was another project I, I noticed uh, that, that you did back in the uh, early 2000s, and this was when Barack Obama was just a senator hadn't quite, um, you know, reached the point where he was running for president. You actually filmed and, and made a documentary where he went back to Kenya. Yeah, that was actually in 2006. Oh. Uh, Barack Obama was at that point a U.S. senator. I uh, hadn't announced, hadn't uh, at all come to terms with the idea that he might be running for president. Um, at that point, I was doing a lot of work for David Axelrod who became, of course, Obama's primary advisor. Yeah. Um, I was doing commercial, political commercials and other things for David Axelrod. David, one day, I was driving with him, actually, and he said, uh, Obama's going to Africa, and he's going to go to his home village in Kenya. Wouldn't that make a great film? And I said, yes, I mean... <laughs> twist my arm, of course it would be a great film. Who's going to pay for it? Sounds very expensive. So David was able to raise a bunch of money from a bunch of wealthy liberals who, who supported Obama, and so we actually made that film. We went to Africa and uh, followed. We went on this uh, diplomatic tour for about three weeks with him, and part of the tour was also, as I said, we went to his home village where his grandmother still lived, in uh, in Kisumu, uh, Kenya, and we got to visit a very uh, low key living situation. Hard to imagine that our future president's father lived there, came from that region. It was amazing, wow. but uh, it was an amazing trip. I'd never been to Africa before, so that was quite mind blowing. I mean, to see it through Obama's eyes was very very special and very unusual. And, you know, I became, I would say I became close with him, but we spent a lot of time together on that trip. I, that's awesome. I was going to say for the, the Jawheads, because you got such, uh, we call our, our, our fans the Jawheads, you got so many films and such interesting topics. 
where would we guide them? Where's the best place online to say, hey, if you want to see some of these movies, is there one collective spot to go to? Uh, not really. I suppose I should do that. I mean, maybe the best thing is to go to my company website, which has all the independent films on it. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, mediaprocess.com, www.mediaprocess.com. And on that, just click on the word independent, and it lists, it has all the films on there. It has links to all the films, or links to the distributors as well. Nice. Do it. Do yeah. it, everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. As mentioned at the top of the show, Matt, it is Tilda Swinton month. I wonder, Phil, do you, do you have an odd question here for Bob Hercules? Uh, I do. I do got one for you, Bob. Uh, in honor of Tilda okay. Swinton month, uh, we all know that Tilda Swinton has good relationships with a couple of the different directors who feature her, uh, often recursively in their movies. Uh, which of these directors do you think bring the best out of her? Uh, Wes Anderson or Jim Jarmusch? Hmm. I mean, both directors I highly admire, but very different directors. Um, I would say Wes Anderson. No arguments there. I think we're all nodding. I would have gone Jarmusch. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, only lovers left alive. But no, Wes Anderson for sure. Yeah. She she embraces that quirkiness of Wes Anderson really well. Yes. Good subject to be celebrating for the month of June. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, I think she's one of our greatest actresses on the scene today i i, I do too no so do i yep. no, no doubt about it yeah um as far as social media bob anywhere that you want to plug here as far as uh, social media on facebook or twitter well i'm doing a new film about a man most people have never heard of named abner mikva he was a, con- a very liberal congressman judge and became presidential counsel to bill clinton and so if people go on gofundme and go to Mikva, M-I-K-V-A, that would be great because they could contribute to our campaign. We're doing a GoFundMe campaign yeah. to raise money for that. It's a documentary. Nice. We'll put a link in the show notes for sure. Everybody okay. go check that great. out. Yeah, perfect. All right. So Bob is sitting in on this entire jaw. Uh, he has his top five favorite comedies with leading ladies. Brings us to Eye for an Eye, Phil. What do we got? Yes, this week on Eye for an Eye, we're going on Dark Phoenix. Jean Grey begins to develop incredible powers that corrupt and turn her into a dark phoenix. Now, the X-Men will have to decide if the life of a team member is worth more than the life of all the people living in the world. The film stars Sophia Turner, Jessica Chastain, Jennifer Lawrence, James McAvoy, and Michael Fassbender. It is directed by Simon Kinberg, who, while making his directorial debut, did write the screenplays for the following X-Men movies, Apocalypse, Days of Future Past, and The Last Stand. Rye, we throw it over to you. I'm so sick of these uh, comic book movies all having to do with... It's, it's one thing or the entire human race is gone. Listen to that synopsis. I haven't been up to date with all of my X-Men. I don't even know what this is. I don't know what Dark Phoenix, this must be some sort of major character in the comics. Not interested at all. (laughs) Matt? Okay. First of all, the Dark Phoenix saga is probably the most important X-Men story there is. I mean, you can make a day for argument for Days of Future Past. I think I've heard this every time we get a new X-Men movie from you. (laughs) No, that's not true. I'm not, I'm actually not a huge X-Men fan. Uh, I will say this, like it's so obvious that there's a three picture deal here with Fassbender and Jennifer Lawrence and they're at the end of their contracts. They're not really digging it anymore, McAvoy. I also think that this has been hinted at for way too long. 
just not that interested. Surprising, right? Wow, absolutely. Bob, interest or ignore on Dark Phoenix? I, I'm not a big fan of these Wolverine or these X-Men movies. Um, I, I'm always amazed that such great actors like Michael Fassbender even bother to be in these movies. <laughs> but what do I know? I, it's just not my thing. Um, also, I, I kind of like to put one person's life versus the lives of the rest of humanity is so absurd. <laughs> but, you know, that, I guess that's how you create drama in these kind of movies. So. Uh. I, I take a, a hard pass on it. Wow. Bob, you got to check out Logan. Give that one a, a watch. You might. Okay. All that, right. that one's worth it, I promise. Three ignores okay. as, as we go into the fish tank. Phil. This is a, a real shame because we're going four ignores on it. Uh, and unlike Matt, I, I am a huge. X-Men was like my comic as a kid. Uh, but one, Matt's right. They, this is probably like the big story, and it took him way too long to get here. I'm not excited for it. Uh, and it was also like when I was growing up, this was like the story in comics that even if you didn't read comics, you knew about. Sure. And so it's just like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed with, with Dark Phoenix media. Wow. Four ignores. I did, not, I did not think I was going to be saying that today. Four ignores for Dark Phoenix. Uh, speaking of new movies, Matt, we got out and saw Booksmart. Yeah. Actress, activist, turned director, Olivia Wilde enters her directorial debut in Booksmart, a female-helmed comedy. With a lot of buzz and momentum from a South by Southwest premiere, it opened wide and is currently getting creamed at the box office, despite a huge score on the critic sites. Is all this buzz earned, or is the movie book smart but common sense short? Ryan and I graduated from the couch and headed out to the theater to check out this party. It's the last day. We got you through high school. I need to go over the end of the year budget numbers. Can't we just graduate, head off to college? That should do it, right? We will persist. I can't hear you. I can't soundproof glass. We have to go to a party tonight. What? Nobody knows that we are fun. We didn't party because we wanted to focus on school and get into good colleges. And it worked. But the irresponsible people who partied also got into those colleges. I'm incredible at hand jobs, but I also got a 1560 on the SATs. We haven't done anything. We haven't broken any rules. Name one person whose life was so much better because they broke a couple of rules. Picasso. He broke art rules. Rosa Parks. Name another one. Susan B. Anthony. God damn it. Academic overachievers Amy and Molly thought keeping their noses to the grindstone gave them a leg up on their high school peers. But on the eve of graduation, the best friends suddenly realized that they may have missed out on the special moments of their teenage years. Determined to make up for lost time, the girls decide to cram four years of not-to-be-missed fun into one night. A chaotic adventure that no amount of book smarts could prepare them for ensues. That is the basic premise of Superbad. I mean, book smart. Look, I'm going to take this head on. The comparison is fair. I want to make it clear, book smart is not just a gender flip remake of Superbad. It's much more than that. That would be too simple though it could be called a spiritual sequel of sorts. The two films share many themes, common roadmaps, and general characterizations. However, the writing in Booksmart is fresh, and though it passes the same street signs, it reaches a different destination. What really does set Booksmart apart is its effortless inclusiveness and representation. It never feels like tokenism. The characters are diverse because life is diverse, 
and it was just the organic way to tell this story. Not to make that sound easy, there are straight characters, gay characters, people of every social strata, body type, race, creed, age, etc. None of this is played for cheap laughs, and you don't even realize you are watching it because it just feels honest to actual life. Strange that most films seem to struggle with this. Booksmart just doesn't. A couple of gripes though, Ryan. I was not blown away by either lead performance. I do not think these were breakout roles for either Caitlin Dever as Amy or Beanie Feldstein as Molly. They were both pretty good, but it was the supporting cast that really shines. A geeky drama club director and his over-the-top muse, an almost magical shaman-esque stoner girl who keeps popping up at every party, a confused rich kid who is affable if he just stopped trying to buy his friends. Even the jock and skater girl love interests have way do- way more dimension than they usually get in this type of movie. These side characters, using air quotes here, are what give the movie its true honesty and heart and what makes Booksmart stand apart from Superbad. But one last gripe. I know it's a broad comedy, but some of the plot conveniences were just a little too convenient for me. Things seem to fall into place quite tidily, but it's a pretty minor gripe. Booksmart is sweet, honest, and refreshing comedy. It's refreshing for its diversity and perspective. Of course, it's getting creamed at the box office. But I think this one was worth the gamble the studio took on the wide summer release, and I hope it develops that word of mouth needed for it to pay off. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about its its box office performance in a bit, and I'm that's glad, the big story, right? Yeah, now. for sure, and I'm glad we're talking about it here on Cinema Jaw because I I think there's obviously there's people out there that have not seen Booksmart that are, are movie fans that I think would really enjoy this movie. I thought the chemistry between the two leads was fantastic. Uh, I, I have no gripe with either of them. I, I thought both were, were powerhouse performances. Powerhouse. Powerhouse. I agreed with you until you used the word powerhouse. Um, the, they were not powerhouses. And, and, and the, the, the chemistry is like real. It doesn't feel like that, that forced uh, chemistry. It it's really, good. It really felt like you were watching two high school friends, um, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Mm. And my next line was, really, everyone in this cast is amazing. You touched on it. Um, the, the the stoner girl that pops up at the party, just hilarious. She's, she's awesome. Um, and you're right, the uh, rich kid who could just tone it down a little bit. Every, t- every time that guy came on screen, I was laughing. Um, but then at the end, he's sort of the McLovin of the bunch. Yeah, I, I, a little bit, but I mean, not so much. And, and two, well, I think, who was the redheaded kid from from uh, the? It was it Superbad or American Pie? That was American Pie. Yeah, who is he? See, it's the same character. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. To say it's just um, a spiritual sequel to Superbad, it 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 is that coming of age, end of high school movies that we have seen numerous times before. It's not just Superbad. Right. I guess that's what I'm getting at. It, it's not totally cracking new ground, at least in the story. It's, it's it's kind of how they tell the story that makes it different. I agree. Um, I love the soundtrack as well in it. Uh, great use of, of songs. Decent. Decent soundtrack. But I will Why? Because there's not punk songs? No, 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 no. I'm, oh, I'm it saying, doesn't have punk, so it's decent? I like the Boy, soundtrack, Ryan. LCD sound system. I'm agreeing it. with you. But, but, man, they use the slow-mo to rap song shot like four times in the movie. 
they could have maybe toned that one down a little uh, bit. It was a joy to watch. I was laughing, smiling, laughing, smiling the entire time from start to finish. Some very big laugh out loud moments as well that I think are, are going to be highlighted as we get near uh, the end of the year's favorite scenes. I don't know anyone who would not like Booksmart. This is like a film that's so easy to recommend. A lot of times there's movies where it's like, uh, it, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Like, eh, if somebody says, I'm going to go check out, you know, whatever film it is, sure. I say, eh, I don't know if you're going to enjoy it. But pretty much everybody's going to get a kick out of Booksmart. I agree. It's the feel-good movie of the summer. Um, why it's not uh, doing as well at the box office, I mean, a reason why this is being talked about is because, hey, here's this, this well-received movie by critics uh, written by a woman directed by a woman, female lead. First time director. And a lot of people are saying, oh, is this the reason why? You know, or at least let's open up this, you know, can and have the discussion. Sure. I I don't think it's necessarily that. Um, I don't either. Maybe that plays into, for some, some people, they see it and they don't. I read one comment that said they don't like the title Booksmart, and there's probably is a lot of people that may stop at it and just think, oh, it's like an academic comedy. Perhaps. Say they it's hadn't not seen the greatest the, title. Say they hadn't seen the, the, the trailer, the trailer mm-hmm. and they're just hearing word of mouth. Oh, you got to see this movie, Booksmart, Booksmart. Mm. Some people may, you know, not saying all, but some people may turn and not go see it. Uh, I agree. It's not the greatest title. And then two, you wonder how the, the studio sort of opened it up. There's such a thing as calling it sort of a platform open where, you know, you open in, you know, just the big cities on just a few screens and then you slowly you know, grow uh, as the word of mouth grows, or you just go with a wide release like they did here with Booksmart, and you know, it, it and they get creamed. Yeah, just didn't do that well. I'm I'm hoping that it gets some legs and. Well, and and it's also fair to point out that they're up against the big summer tent poles right now, which are the the special effects monsters like uh, the comic book movies and the monster movies. Yeah, which, which we'll, be... we'll be talking about later. Yeah, uh, breaking it down: best, worst elements. Uh, I like the underwater moment. Um, it's sort of pivotal in, in the, the film's plot, and it was shot really well. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Slow motion, music. Overuse of slow motion. <laughs> I like that, though. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I got, I got two scenes I wanted to highlight. Um, I, I mean, so many hysterical parts in this movie, but there, there is a panda joke. Uh, there is a, a revelation about how a panda is used. Yeah, with Lisa and, Kudrow. And, yeah, yeah, and it, it's pretty funny in the beginning, but it's hysterical at the end when the parents are actually touching the, the panda and everybody knows what, what has transpired with this panda. I, I just love that scene. And then um, they, they're trying to get to one party, but they get dropped off at another one, which turns out to be a murder mystery party oh, that was good. by the drama club guy. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, he's all upset because, you know, two people didn't show and uh, loved it. The intro when they walk into that party and that guy's in character. I just like when they go into the <laughs> kitchen and his parents and little brother are in there or sister. Is it over yet? And then he yells at his, his mom. He's yeah. like, I got until 11 o'clock. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> and let's not forget uh, one of the better drug scenes. There, there seems to be, you know, in a lot of these movies, uh, comedies in general, where uh, these characters end up taking drugs, sometimes by choice, sometimes by not. And then you always get like a some type of comedy montage of what happened to these characters while under the influence. This one took a, sort of a very new approach. Obviously, I've never seen anything quite like it. it and it, they didn't linger on it too long. It was just a hearty laugh and then on with it. We're not going to do this for 
you know, 20 minutes. Yeah, it was a little strange. I liked it, though. It, it's, it was definitely something we'll be talking about for a while. Yeah, any, any criticisms that you haven't mentioned? Uh, okay, so yeah, the, the two leads have a fight at one point, like friends do, and everyone around them busts out cell phones. This is a thing now with teenagers, right? And you see the lights in the background filming their fight, and then there's absolutely no mention of that later on. It just there's no repercussions whatsoever. Like, that does not come to bear. You don't show a gun and not fire it. As far as them filming, you mean? Yeah. Or, or that the fight yeah, this even is, took place? This is, uh, I mean, because well, they make up. They make up, fine. But, like, that, this is uh, the social media reality that we live in today, especially teenagers have to deal with this cyberbullying stuff. And they're at a party, they're having a very public fight, and it's being filmed. And then the next day, there's nothing. Mm. I didn't like that. I they should have just issue. not put that in. I, I, and it's in, a minor gripe, but there I, it is. I, I had really no issues uh, with the movie. How about influences outside of Superbad? You got something? Yeah, I mean, okay, it's really hard to, to not mention Superbad, but maybe a bit of stoner comedy, a little bit of Harold and Kumar in there. Uh, they're, they're on an adventure, so it's, it feels like that. Yeah, it does have this uh, bizarre humor where this stoner girl is uh, leaving parties. At one point, they're on a, a boat party, and she jumps off the boat. And for a while, I think you probably think, well, that was pretty funny of her. We'll never see her again. And then the, the running gag throughout the movie is that she's somehow beating these two to every single party. I love that kind of bizarre stuff. I did, too. It was awesome. And I knew a person just like that, too. <laughs> Influences for me would be uh, super bad, obviously, like you've mentioned, and, and Lady Bird. And maybe Lady Bird comes up la later on this list. By the way, I did not know that that was actually Jonah Hill's sister. Yes. I mean, geez, talk about right on the nose. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. Yeah, totally. Um, what'd you learn? What did I learn? That uh, I should have some fun once in a while. You know, every phase of life is precious and it's easy to let them go by without uh, enjoying them. So stop to smell the flowers. I think that Olivia Wilde needs to make more movies. This is what I learned. What a debut. Uh, really just just a perfectly sweet comedy. Yeah. Not, not incredibly groundbreaking, but definitely well made. Movie poster quote. I got a good one. To miss Booksmart would be super bad. Not bad. Yeah, man. how about that? <laughs> what do you got? I went with uh, a pun off of Olivia Wilde, as in what a wild movie, spelled with the E at the end, instant classic. It's up there. It's so. it's good. It is the spiritual sequel. Um, I, I really do think it's an instant classic. I, it's one that I once I saw it, I actually thought I could probably go back. I'll, maybe if I get a couple friends, I'll go back and watch this because I had that much fun with it. I'd watch it again. How many Jaws? I'm giving this one solid three Jaws. Four Jaws. Oh, for come on. Movie guy. Really? True story, four Jaws. Wow. Really loved Booksmart. I might have gone four and a half if, if it wasn't half, quite... Yeah, sorry. I might have gone three and a half if it wasn't quite so derivative. Hmm. I mean, cause it really is. I had no problem with it. Okay. Enjoyed it. All right, good. Um, couple of great leading ladies, in my opinion, which uh, is our topic this week on Cinema Jaw. We are going female-led comedies... Bob, we like to always ask the guest, was this a difficult list to come up with or, or rather easy for you, fun? I would say it wasn't the easiest because, uh, frankly, there aren't that, and this is, uh, I think this is more of an indictment against our society, but there's not that many great female helm comedies. Uh, I think there, it's, that's changing, thankfully, and that, you know, like Booksmart is an example of that. Like, that trend is changing, so I'm happy to see that. Absolutely. So what do you got sitting at number five? 
Number five, my big fat Greek wedding, a film yeah. from a long time ago, but it, I thought it was really funny. I love, I kind of have to admit, I love movies about weddings. Weddings are just such a great uh, venue to make fun of things. And uh, so I think it was Nia Vardolis uh, who made that, who wrote and directed that film. And, you know, she has a Chicago connection because she started out at Second City. And so she actually uh, was in the same ensemble as a good friend of mine, Jeff Rogers. Jeff and I wrote a screenplay together that we're trying to get made into a film. And so uh, he, he had mentioned to me a long time ago he was friends with her. So it's it's a great movie. It's very funny. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought this up. Absolutely. I, I actually sort of forgot about it, and and it was actually like a like a smash hit in the theater too. It was one of those it was. where people were just going and going, and it you it was like out for three, four, five weeks, and you could still go see it with a sold out theater. It was sort of a phenomenon for a while. It was a surprise hit, and she actually got nominated for Academy Award for the screenplay. Mm. A lot of people don't know it. Also had John Corbett in it. I remember I used to watch a show called Northern Exposure. Oh, yes. Big fan here. I love that show. Me and too. And John Corbett was the DJ in Northern Exposure, and I thought he was such a cool guy. I, and, I liked uh, him, too. Yeah, so there's another little detail of that film I loved. Oh, wow. Northern Exposure getting talked about here, too. Did, Did you, you watch know? it? No, no, I didn't. You didn't no. watch that show? It was, no. it was a damn good show, man. Um, it was a very good show. All right, I'm going to swing it over to my number five, Matt. Okay, go for it. And uh, here you got three heavy hitters, especially uh, nowadays. Um, obviously, Meryl Streep, Anne Hathaway, and the film that really broke out, Emily Blunt. I'm speaking of The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, it's a huge, huge one. Oh, role. yeah. Yeah, and I think Streep as Miranda Priestly, who she plays in the film, really makes it because... Streep in that role was just literally perfect and so intimidating. And here you have these two secretaries uh, played by Anne Hathaway and Emily Blunt that are scared of her, but also so eager to try to please her at the same time and throw in a Stanley Tucci in there. And uh, what a great comedy. It's a classic yeah, it's at a this point. it's a great cast. It is. I, I love The Devil Wears Prada. And it's an easy watch, too. You know how some movies... You don't always want to keep rewatching them. This is one that you can just put it in and just watch it and, and enjoy yourself. Rewatchability factor. Exactly. Yeah, for sure, man. All right, that swings it to me at number five. This is where I slot what I would call a bit of a surprise hit. I don't know how big of a hit it was, but certainly a hit with us critic types. Melissa McCarthy's 2015 Spy. Such an unexpected turn from Melissa McCarthy. We all thought this was going to be sort of a screwball send-up of the spy genre. And to a certain extent, it is. A little bit. Yeah, but I also think that there's some actual themes playing out here and some decent action, believe it or not. Melissa McCarthy is not like some bumbling uh, Mr. Bean type who just kind of stumbles into the right course of action. She's actually an effective killing machine, which is a bit of a script flipped. Mm -hmm. So I I enjoyed it for being... sort of an odd one yeah and also to mention uh rose byrne is in the movie and yes it's hilarious in in there as well i agree it's it's a large cast and a very jude, perfect jude you know? law yeah, yeah no it, it is it really is if you haven't seen spy i highly recommend it yep all right into our fours we go bob what do you got sitting there well i have a somewhat of an obscure film but i love this film it's called please give by, oh. is directed and written by nicole holofcener 
she's done some great films. It's a very funny, it's a it's a dark comedy about classic liberal guilt. <laughs> Catherine Keener yes. plays this. Uh, she and her husband are just classic liberals. And yeah. Oliver Platt is the uh, husband, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. They're great in this movie, and I, because I live in Evanston, I have to admit it hits home for me because Evanston has a lot of liberal guilt up here, and so uh, it really uh, struck me very. <laughs> it's just brilliant. It is. It's a, it's a great satire. Yeah, I've seen this one, and and yeah, I'm right with you. Uh, great, great comedy, and I love the fact that uh, they sell antique furnitures, and and what they do is. Yes. <laughs> they go and they, they go to like when they hear that someone died, they get these stuff so cheap and then they're putting it in this, you know, hipster area store and they're selling it for, you know, unbelievable amount yeah, of yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, big markup. <laughs> That's crazy. Yes. It's a good one, it's though. A, it's a great premise for a movie. Yes. Love that one. I, I, I don't think I've even brought this one up on the job. I've never even heard of it. Yeah. What's it called one more time? Please give. Please give. Yep. Okay. It's All a right. great one. Yeah. Yeah, throw it in the uh, fish tank what year it came out, Phil. It's a great one. Good good pick there, Bob. Thank you. Oh, throws it over to my number four. I also have somewhat of a hidden gem here. Uh, came out in 2004. As far as I'm concerned, it's the last movie that I know Macaulay Culkin actually appears in. He's not the star, but he, he is in the movie. The stars, it's uh, female-led here, is Jenna Malone and Mandy Moore, and the movie is Saved. I think I've seen it. I, tell me the plot. Okay, so um, Jenna Malone plays uh, uh, like a strong Catholic, almost like a born-again Catholic-style okay. high school girl who is actually in a group that's called the Christian Jewels. Okay. And this is supposed to be almost like the cool kids, cool girls in the school because they're so Christian, right? Right. But she is uh, at like a, in a swimming pool with her boyfriend, and the boyfriend... Uh, opens up to her and says, hey, I think I'm gay. And she is just, you know, because of her, her Christian beliefs, just appalled by this and decides decides to, to save him. And the only thing she thinks that can save him is if she uh, loses her virginity to him and sleeps with him, make sure that he isn't gay. Well, of course, she gets pregnant. And Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it, it, at, at one time, here's here's the beauty of the film. At, at one point, it's it's sort of making fun of those values because now she's just ruined and seeing, you know, what's completely wrong sometimes with those values. But at the same point, at the same point, uh, finds like sort of new Christian values out of it. Like, hey, look, at God is for all of, all of this and saving people that need it and need help at certain times because she goes through with the pregnancy and... It's it's a comedy. It's it's a gem. I mean, I love that premise. It's so. pretty good. What's it called? Saved. Saved. Okay. Yeah. With I'm, an exclamation point. I Saved. Am, I'm writing some down this week. Yeah. All right. Kicks it over to me. And Ryan, if I told you I had a comic book movie on this list, would you be surprised? I'd say it, I'd say this movie kicks ass. It, no, but no? no, that's a good guess. No. <laughs> if I said that Scarlett Johansson is in this comic book movie, would you be appalled? No. You sure? I thought you would be. All right. Thor Birch and oh. Scarlett Johansson okay. starred in the adaptation of the Daniel Close comic Ghost World. Came out in 2001, and I saw it at the long-lost Piper's Alley here in Chicago, which was used to be one of the only places you could see indie pictures here in Chicago. Luckily, we've gotten a few more of those theaters. Um, 
such an amazing comedy. It's very dry, very punk, mm-hmm. very sort of um, nihilistic at points, but sort of optimistically nihilistic, if that's a thing. And Steve Buscemi pops up uh, in just one of his more hilarious roles. It's it's a dry, almost uh, Wes Anderson-like in its tone comedy, and I it, love it. It's one I want to go back and revisit. I know I enjoyed the hell out of it, too. So It's a really good one. Yeah, good one. See, Ghost comic work. book movies, right? Yeah. Hey. I'm shocked. That's a graphic novel, technically, right? What's the diff? I'm just saying. Just saying. All right. Into our threes we go. Bob? Yes. Uh, number three on my list is Lady Bird. I love that movie. Greta Gerwig yeah. wrote and directed it. Um, it's just a, it's a, I think it's a point on movie. It's really beautifully written, beautifully acted. Shersha Ronan. Laura Metcalf plays her mother. Um, great actress. I don't think she gets a lot of attention. But this was a great role for her. I just Ste- Steppenwolf was, actress, too. Yeah, that's right. In fact, uh, there's a lot of co- there's some Chicago connections because Greta Gerwig, of course, was in a bunch of Joe Swanberg films, and Joe's a Chicago filmmaker, and uh, Laura Metcalf, as you said, was from Steppenwolf. So, yep. But I just thought it was a very authentic movie, funny, but also bittersweet points, and uh, I just loved it. It was really nice. Yeah, no complaints there. Love Lady Bird. Yeah. Um, thought it would come up on the list. My number three, I think, is a heavy hitter, too. If people have seen this, you know where I'm going with it. 2012, um, I'm talking about the Bellas, the Barden Bellas here in Pitch Perfect. And this is Anna Kendrick, the movie that really gave us Rebel Wilson, and they play in the a cappella group in their university. I have never seen... I don't there's, th- there's three of them now or four? Throw that in the fish it's tank. at least three. There might be four even. I, I don't know. I've lost track. But um, If they were perfect the first time, <laughs> yeah, why did they need perfect. all these sequels? <laughs> they were pitch perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but the, just the idea of taking a cappella so seriously mm-hmm. is already a Kind of silly. Yeah, is, is a great you know uh, jumping off point to make a comedy. So is it sort of like best in show of a cappella? Yeah, but not such a satire. Okay. Because eventually it does become like a real competition. So it, it sort of is twofold. You're, you're enjoying the comedy of it all. And then near the end, I mean, the singing is actually pretty good. Right. This is, this is the series that sort of gave us Anna Kendrick as a singing voice. Right. I didn't know that she was that talented on the singing department. I thought she was just an actor, but multi-talented. Multi-talented. So see Pitch Perfect. You, you would enjoy the first one at least. I, it's an institution at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. I need to catch up with it. That swings it over to me. And guys, listen... I had to put this one on the list. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. 1994, going way back, John Waters, Kathleen Turner is the lead in Serial Mom. It's a dark comedy. Ryan is just like glaring at me. I haven't seen this one. You haven't oh, seen Serial I, I saw it. Yes, it was very funny. I forgot all about that movie. It is hilarious. I mean, uh, so basically, here's the premise, Ryan. Kathleen Turner is a typical suburban mom. She's got the the the, the house dress, you know, polka dots and a pearl necklace and nice shoes. She's all done up in the middle of the afternoon, baking apple pies, that kind of thing. Um, but lo and behold, she also has this bloodlust, and she's a serial killer by night. And it is it's John Waters, so it's sort of like uh, wacky and weird. One of his more toned down movies, definitely. He was going for a mainstream yeah. crossover here. Uh, and, and nearly achieved it. Matthew Lillard pops up as the son, and uh, it's just it's just bizarre. The best scene in the movie, she is harassing 
one of her neighbors via the telephone. She's making these threatening prank calls to her neighbor, and she's at a like a, a party, like a Tupperware party with this neighbor, and she uses the same voice that she uses on the phone and freaks her out. <laughs> just just uh, Google that scene and, and watch it on YouTube. It's just serial mom prank call scene. It's phenomenal. Nice. I love it when actors play against type, and Kathleen Turner was definitely playing against type. You would not expect her to be that, play that role, but she was great. She was great. It's a great movie. Awesome. Very offbeat. Indoor twos, Bob, what do you got? Uh, number two on my hot list, Juno. Um, I thought it was just a, a great movie. came out a few years ago. Uh, Ellen Page uh, was in it. And Diablo Cody was the writer. Right. And it's great script. Um, I just thought it was very, again, kind of sweet, kind of bittersweet at times. I mean, not out, out and out, just hilarious, but very, very funny. I think she just captured a time and a part of our culture. And Michael Sarah is in it, and he's yeah. one of my favorite actors. He's great at saying that incredibly vulnerable, shy, kind of awkward, uncomfortable with himself. <laughs> and Ellen Page is kind of the same way. It's like an unlikely match and uh it was just beautifully done i i, I love that script so uh you know and I, I just thought it was a great movie all overall yeah no doubt and and another sort of like surprise hit that everybody sort of got behind that year i, I like that movie a lot for sure Me yeah too. yeah my number two uh i i i think we all knew that reese witherspoon was uh, a great actress but i didn't know if she could pull off comedy quite as well as she did in 2001's legally blonde this is a good pick, Ryan. Wow. Thank you, Matt. And, and also, everybody, when, when you see the script or, or I guess the trailer for Legally Blonde, it's so easy to dismiss. Like, oh, this is going to be trash. I remember I, I was, I was you know, uh, dating a girlfriend at the time that wanted to watch the movie, and I did not because you're exactly right. Just seeing it, I thought, oh, I know what this is. Right. You know? And then you put it on, you're like, oh, it's so much better, so much smarter. It's way smarter. It's like a, it's like a clueless. Right, exactly. It, it really comes out of nowhere, and it's like, wow, this. I, I, I'm laughing. I'm enjoying where the actual script is going. I mean, she, she basically is you know, playing this, you know, girlfriend to a guy who she thinks she's going to get engaged with and gets dumped and that sort of motivates her to go to harvard and eventually get a uh internship at a at a legal firm and then the 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 best part of it is that she's like helping um the lawyers out to try to defend a fitness coach that is uh she admires and some of the things that the fitness coach doesn't want to say is so funny because they're so vain that mm -hmm. they don't want to say, hey, I was having this done at, at a certain time. So they'd almost rather be accused of murder than let somebody know that they were having, you know, some plastic, plastic surgery, surgery yeah, or something. Right. Done. It's pretty <laughs> funny. Um, but if you haven't seen Legally Blonde for some reason, you were on the fence. Well worth a spin. My number two, Matt, was Legally Blonde. All right. That kicks it to me. And I'm going even further back in time, Ryan, to 1992. I think this is probably uh, just a classic, an all-time classic. Gina Davis, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, and Tank Girl, Lori Petty, star in A League of Their Own. Yeah. Oh, I love that movie. Me too. Me too. All truth be told, it was my number one. Oh, is it? Yeah. You know what? Then talk we, about it right here. Wow. We're here too. My one. Okay. All right. We can talk about it right here. It, it's a it's a bit of a groundbreaker. Um, first of all, I mean, this movie came out when I was fairly young, but it's it's fair to say that maybe a lot of people had forgotten that there was a uh, a women's baseball league 
uh, yeah. in America. I, I think that's part of the uh, beauty of the film, too, is not forgot. I just didn't even really know much about it. So it, it was, you know, you're learning something while you're watching it. And the cast, like you said, Gina Davis, Laurie Petty, who plays her sister, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell. and Right, and they're all sort of in the prime during this. Right, yeah. and they all got along so well, and the jokes were good. The characters were very defined in the movie. Right, and plus that long pee from, from Tom, <laughs> Tom Hanks. Hanks. Yeah. All of it was great. The I whole, love it. The whole movie, front to back. And it's just a fun movie. It's one of the best baseball movies, you know? I agree. I yeah. think maybe that's the last time we talked about it on our uh, baseball episode. Yeah. Going way back. Long time. Yeah. It's been Big a Big fan. Been a while. All right. That was Matt's number two. Into our ones we go, Bob. What's your favorite female-led comedy? Well, it's uh, Bridesmaids. I thought it was just hilarious. I couldn't stop laughing at that movie, and it was a breakthrough movie, in my opinion, because it showed, I mean, women could be raunchy (laughs) and uh, unrestrained, and it was unfiltered and just, uh, you know, real, and also very well written, and just, uh, like I said, I just, it just cracked me up so much, and it had a great cast, I mean, a really great ensemble Kristen Wiig, Maya Rudolph, and actually Melissa McCarthy is mm-hmm. in that film as well, which yeah. people forget. Um, I just thought it was a real, um, you know, kind of a, a game changer movie that has, I think, kind of opened up the doors for other movies like that since then. Wholeheartedly agree with that. It is. It's it, it's like a it's a milestone. It's like the Matrix of female led comedies <laughs> that's yeah. an interesting way of putting it yeah well, well sometimes i think we uh, us males are just so dumb at it you know that we we yes. need something so good and it finally is like oh yeah they they can be funny too like i, I don't know what takes everybody so long but when you see it, it it's like yes we want more of this absolutely so. absolutely yeah all right and guys. even the movie you were saying book smart you know is really kind of a uh, you know, it came out after that, after Bridesmaids, obviously. It's mm-hmm. kind of a part of the continuum of those kind of movies. I Agree. Think. So it's, 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 it was a great groundbreaker. Yep. Indeed. Kicked open a bunch of doors. Um, I mean, you spoiled my number one. I'm of, so a, sorry. A League of Their Own. I'm not sorry. But so I'm, I'm no. going to throw in my, my <laughs> top honorable mention. Go ahead, Ryan. And that was 2004. Uh-huh. Don't want to spoil yours. Large cast. Uh, very much like um, Bridesmaids, I, I would go with Mean Girls, um, which was... Oh, Lindsay yeah. Lohan. Yeah, yeah, Lindsay Lohan, Rachel McAdams, and Amanda Seaford is in it as well. The girl from Party of Five, Lacey Shabet Shib- or something like whatever her name was. Yeah. And uh, I think it was directed by Tina Fey also. It, it definitely written by. Yeah. So that would be it. I would put that as my number one uh, is an honorable mention. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I guess the honors go to me this week, and I'm throwing it all the way back to 1980. We we just got finished talking about um, you know bridesmaids and and how it uh, changed the industry, and I think it did. But this movie may have been a precursor way back in the day. Dolly Parton, Lily Tomlin, and Jane Fonda starred in Nine to Five. Oh, great one! Right? It's it's on the surface, it's uh, an office satire, but it it was so much more. It was it was feminist. Um, in ways I think we hadn't seen before in 1980. It's an older film, I guess, now, but I remember seeing it and loving it, even as a kid. Dabney Coleman plays their chauvinist boss. These these poor women keep getting passed over, even though they're highly qualified for, for promotions at this company. So they, they do uh, something desperate and kidnap him. 
and then fantasize about murdering him like, <laughs> like you do. And wackiness <laughs> ensues. And the thing that makes this movie so... The reason it's my number one is because of the talent involved here. I mean, Lily Tomlin alone, really, Hilarious. let's be honest, she's she's amazing. And she's, she's the comedy powerhouse. I actually think Jane Fonda can pull off comedy pretty well. Dolly Parton might have been the weak link as far as comedy goes, but I think she's got some decent acting chops as and, well. And she gave us the song in the movie as well. Right. Which was a huge, you know, hit, and people still sing working nine to five. People do, and I think maybe they forget where it came from. So this is the one. Check it out. Yep. Worth it to see Dabney uh, Coleman in bondage gear, you know? <laughs> I also think it had a social statement about labor as well. I mean, it was very strong on women's issues and the fact women discrimination, yep. but also in a way ta- talked about uh, laboring people, which, you know, a lot of movies don't, don't, don't get into. And uh, also the other thing is Jane Fonda, really it's got to be one of her first comedy roles i mean she was again playing against type i think she's gone on to do a lot of comedies obviously but i think that must have been one of her first comedies so it was very different for her but she she pulled it off very well yeah i think we see inklings of that in like barbarella you know which is not necessarily a a comedy but it's definitely farcical in a way Mm. but uh this is her her first broad comedy definitely Um, Looking here, all of my honorable mentions have come up. I had only one, because uh, actually 9 to 5 was an honorable, Ghost World was an honorable. I mentioned Mean Girls. And the one not mentioned is only really because I've talked about it so much on the show, and that is Clueless with Alicia Silverstone we and Stacey it. Dash. But it, was it on your list? No. No, it just came up. It in, came up in conversation. Right. But that would be an honorable as well. I got a couple. Heathers, which, again, I talk about a lot, so I left it off. Plus, it's, it's got some romance, not necessarily straight-up comedy. Um, and then The Witches of Eastwick. That's which, a good one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very strong cast, Cher, um, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Susan Sarandon, you know? Plus mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson's in there. It's, he plays Jack the devil. Nicholson, right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a great movie. Good stuff. Uh, Jawheads, if we forgot your favorite female-led comedy, and you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet at CinemaJaw, or you can email us, feedback at CinemaJaw.com. What we're going to do is take a break. When we come back, we still have a review of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, plus trivia, bird movie trivia. We'll be right back on CinemaJaw. Let's all go to the lobby. In honor of Cinema Jaws, Tilda Swinton Month, we celebrate with this clip where Tilda storms in as social services. Where's the boy? We don't know yet. That's not acceptable. You want me to say later? I'm gonna get Jed a cup of coffee. You're Captain Sharp. That's correct. I'm Social Services. I remanded the boy into your personal custody. You're responsible for his safety. I'm told that he's just been struck by lightning. It's the first I've heard of it. It's true. Scoutmaster Ward, I presume? Yes, ma'am. Your reputation precedes you. You two are the most appallingly incompetent custodial guardian Social Services has ever had the misfortune to encounter in a 27-year career. What do you have to say for yourselves? You can't do this. They'll eat him alive in there. Where? Is that your place again? Juvenile Refuge. Juvenile Refuge. Sounds like jail. Just find the boy and deliver him to social services. Nothing else is in your power. 
I'm sorry. Can we get back to the rescue now? Susie is still out there. Who are you? Walt and Laura Bishop, their daughter's the missing girl. The parents of the stabber. I object to that description. She was attacked. Excuse me. I want the details about that. Where's the scout she knifed? Right here. Film at Redford, sir. What's his condition? He may suffer some limited chronic kidney insufficiency. Here's the report. We don't have time for that. She's right. Let's go. Stop! Nobody's going anywhere. He's not getting shock therapy. That's it! I am citing you for gross misconduct. You, I hereby summon... Writing you up back! Be notified that you stand accused of mistreatment. What are you talking about? I won't let you do it. Look! Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. Hey Jawheads, it's Matt Kay with a quick reminder, we are on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash cinemajaw. You can support the show, become a patron for a small donation. Could be as little as a dollar a month. You get access to our secret vault of bonus content. We try to do something at least once a month, sometimes more extra interviews, extra reviews, sometimes just info about us and our personal lives behind the scenes you never know what you're going to get and that's just one of the many perks that you could get access to if you're a patron on patreon so once again it's patreon.com slash cinemajaw and uh we thank you in advance for your support to get ourselves a treat and we are back on cinemajaw hanging out with bob hercules Actually, uh, Bob, I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. One's silly and, and one's kind of serious. Well, I'll start with the silly one. Uh, you, so the name Hercules. What's yeah. a, I mean, growing up, A, you've, you've got to get a little bit of crap for that growing up. But I also think... A lot, it, of, a lot of crap. It probably opened some doors, too. Yeah, I always tell people it was terrible as a kid, especially when I was growing up, there was a, a cartoon series called Hercules. Mm-hmm. And so it it was just like uh, it, it was always this phrase Hercules, 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 and so I got all kinds of crap from kids when I was in school about my name. But as an adult, it's kind of the opposite, where people remember my name. Like I'm not Bob Smith, so sure. when I call somebody Bob, they kind of remember my name. So it's it's actually been helpful in that sense. Nice, but it is my real name. I was when I was in uh, college. I was a college radio DJ, uh-huh. and so a lot of people assumed that was my uh, my radio name, but that was my real name, actually. Nice. All right. Now, here's the more uh, serious question. Earlier, we were mm-hmm. discussing uh, how you always thought of yourself as a writer first, yet you got into documentary. So how do you reconcile that? Like, like I know you do <laughs> some narrative work as well, but how does the writer um, and the documentarian, how do they coexist? I mean, that's a great question because I joked with somebody recently that I, as I got more mature in my career as a documentary filmmaker, I strove to get rid of n- any narration. The last few films I've made have no narration. They're all told by, you know, oral history of the people I interviewed. But basically, when you're editing a film, a documentary, in a way it is like writing. It's just that you're writing with other people's words. You're trying to create a narrative out of multiple voices that are each complementing each other in, in, in telling a full story. And it's a richer story that it might be told from three or four perspectives. 
but you weave it all together into one story. It's very complicated in a way. It's kind of like writing, but it's not true writing. So it's kind of a mix of things, I guess. That's interesting, man. It sure is. Um, Jawheads, if you are interested in checking out Bob's work, and and we highly recommend that you go to this website. It is mediaprocess.com, and we will have a link in the show notes as well. Do it. Can I throw a shout out to my business partner and my my, uh, director of photography, Keith Walker. Keith is my business partner with Media Process Group, and he has been, he and I have worked together for, you know, 30 some years. So he's a big part of what I do, uh, both as, as the director of photography, but also as co-producer on some of the films. Yeah, sure. Big Absolutely. shout out to Keith. Definitely. Uh, Matt, before we get to Godzilla and before we get to trivia, we did throw a few items into the fish tank. Phil, let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment. Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a sudden message. That means local brass, he sleeps with the fishes. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Hey guys, thank you so much for letting me out. Uh, I'll get right into the questions because I do want to hear about Godzilla. Uh, I know I said it off the recording too, but I'm just fully torqued for this review. Uh, let's start then. When did Please Give come out? That was 2010. So almost a decade ago. It's amazing. Oh, my God. Almost a decade ago. I was about to say fairly recently. (laughs) (laughs) Time flies. It does. Uh, And then the next one, how many Pitch Perfect movies are there? There are currently three. The last one, Pitch Perfect 3, coming out in 2017. I didn't see if there was, like, news or or inklings or even rumors of a a fourth one, but um, it's possible. So the third one came out in 2017. Yeah, and it made, made like, about $100 So they're making money. They're making money, yeah. Wow. They need a prequel. (laughs) It's going to (laughs) happen. Was that everything? That is everything. All right, jump back in that fish tank. Will do. Matt, we got one more review here. Oh, do tell. In 2014, director Gareth Edwards brought back Godzilla in a film that ended up making over $500 million at the box office and launched a mini-universe of movies for Warner Brothers. This time... Michael Daltrey is behind the camera, and he brought some more monster firepower with him. I unplugged my brain and checked out Godzilla, King of the Monsters, on the IMAX. Our planet will perish, and so will we. We set Godzilla free. Oh, yeah, sure. Let's bring him in for a beer. No, this time we join the fight. I don't want to spend too much time on the plot, as it is one of the most ridiculous pieces of writing Hollywood has given us in a long time. In a nutshell, Matt, Kyle Chandler, Vera Farminga, and their two kids are shown in a flashback to Godzilla's rampage in 2014. Their son was killed. Now in present day, the family is separated and Farminga's character is starting to lose it. 
she ends up building a device called the Orca, which can communicate or at least act as a beacon for not only Godzilla, but other monsters the monarch group have discovered. She now believes there needs to be balance in the world, a rebirth, if you will. She plans to awake these monsters to facilitate this restoration. Hence, Godzilla fights Mothra, Rodan, and the three-headed King Ghidorah. These fight scenes all take place at night. Monsters breathe fire, electricity, and destroy everything in their path, except for the stars of this movie. Kyle Chandler takes a page out of Rock's playbook and is able to survive plane crashes, nuclear blasts, fire and electrical warfare. It just doesn't matter. You can't kill Kyle Chandler. He's like Ant-Man in it's, Endgame. It's insane. I felt the fight scenes were too dark, there's one complaint. Everything was at night or dark clouds overhead. And while there are some fun moments, I myself was not overly impressed. And this is the main reason to see the, the fight scenes, right? While it is cool to have Godzilla pose for the camera and give his famous roar, it's uncool to do it four or five times in one movie. Not to mention, Ghidorah has a few of them as well. Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things must have taken a super mushroom because she also cannot be killed throughout the duration of the film. This movie is loud, dumb, semi-fun, and too long. Five years ago, Gareth Edwards used all kinds of fun camera angles to hide the full reveal of Godzilla. That is all gone this time around. This is an example of filmmakers throwing so much at you in hopes you don't realize just how shallow it is. I don't like this one nearly as much as the 2014 effort. Hmm. That's disappointing to hear, man. And I do want to say, because I was talking to Phil before we got recorded. Phil's geeked for this. He is. And I want to say this. Um, I saw this in a screening. They, they fill it up with a, a bunch of audience members. And the audience really enjoyed the hell out of it and there were a couple of people like really like pumping their fists at stuff that the this uh you know whatever who it would be rodan or what on the monsters would do something and you could see they were really passionate about it like this must be something from the archival past of these monsters that they're relating to that i have none of so i think if you're geeked for a big monster movie and you're a fan of these you're probably gonna like like it a lot more than this guy you know yeah I, I wasn't in the how, was, how was the city destruction? Do you see? It, the, the usual, you know? I mean, the, the city yeah. gets destroyed. This time they go to Boston is, is one of the oh, key, okay. key points. And Fenway Park is, is brought into the key. So that's rather interesting because how often do we get to see monsters destroy? The green you know, monster? Yeah, the, the green monster and, and Boston in general. But... Uh, just okay. I, and some of the fight scenes, I think, were done way better in, in Gareth Edwards' uh, hmm. moment. But Did you have a, a favorite scene in particular? All right. There was one set piece of action that I, I really did adore. This is the scene where uh, the army is, is called in. They're in, you know, you got stealth bombers and jets, and they go in, they're fighting Rodan, who is this flying creature. And so Rodan... He's a turtle, isn't he, Phil? No. You're thinking of Gamera. I am thinking yeah. of Gamera. So, so this is uh, like a... What, what's that dinosaur that flies? A pterodactyl. pterodactyl. It's very close to that, right? So 
it starts flying after these jets. And it's a pretty awesome looking scene because the jets are flying in front of it and this thing's catching on it. And they use, you know, the moon in the background and they're flying. And it's, it's literally just starting to crush the jets and grab it. But their whole plan is to try to uh, get Rodan to start chasing after them. And they're headed towards where they see uh, Ghidorah coming through this cloud and they're trying to get the two because they realize there's nothing they can do to beat Rodan so let's try to get these two to fight really neat scene and then of course those two monsters fight and it, it's just silly fun <laughs> I'm in dude I want to see this really really bad what what about the uh, uh, any scenes you had trouble with <laughs> um, oh wait what one other highlight one other oh, highlight. oh do tell do tell there is a scene where Kyle Chandler and his group have to go under the ocean. And nobody cares about the people well, in the Well, not Godzilla under the ocean, but deep into the ocean. And I really like this element. They go down and they end up finding basically like a, a forgotten kingdom. Think of something like Waterworld, where it, it's so old that the Atlantis. water's just over, yeah, overtaken it. And they realize that Godzilla may have come from here and worshipped as a god from here. And the whole way it looks under, under the water, really well done. Like that. That's cool. Yep. What didn't you like? Uh, the worst is it, it, the plot in general. Uh, it's just just ridiculous. And there's one scene that I'll actually give props to Vera Farminga. She has to explain her motives. And the crowd was literally laughing. You know, just it, it's just so silly that you just got to laugh. You can't even take it even the most remote serious, you know. It's like, how did she not laugh delivering these lines? That's pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, what what kind of influences were there? Uh, Rampage. We just saw The Rock. And they, literally, remember in Rampage, they had to have that beacon to bring all of the monsters to one area? Yeah. Same thing? It's the exact same premise. They get the beacon, they bring it out, and they all got to come. And the, the, Come on. We just saw this last summer. All right. Uh, did you learn anything, Ryan? I learned that a nuclear bomb can be used for good. Yeah, especially in a Godzilla movie. <laughs> Uh, all right, lay us, lay the movie poster quote on us. All right, it's big, dumb, fun, but dumb is in capitalization is, is capitalized. That might be fair of just about all the Godzilla movies. Yeah. I think the 2014 was, and and I don't give a lot of credit to the plot of that one either. It's not like I'm I'm I worship no. that idea of it all, but I think that was at one. It was just enough seriousness where a, a guy like me could go in and enjoy then all of the action without being so distracted on how silly the whole premise of the movie is. Where this one's just so silly, I had trouble even enjoying the action. I honestly if don't that even... Makes sense. I, I, it makes sense. Why do they put people in these kaiju movies? We, they don't need to be there. And I always not, wondered that. Not only that, so Kyle Chandler and his crew, these this misfits of people that are trying, I guess, at times to stop the different monsters, they always have to be watching what's going on. They're sort of like our eyes to all of this action. Mm -hmm. So in, in some of the scenes, like one of the, the last scenes are, are them basically hovering in like a, one of those uh, back-ended open uh, helicopters mm -hmm. where, where the whole drawbridge thing is, you know, whatever yeah, that Yeah, like be. a troop transport. Yeah, that thing is open, and they're all just sort of like floating there watching the monsters. Like really when you think about it, how silly it is, they're just sort of watching and they're hovering there. There's no reason for them to be there other than we need some connection. We need a proxy. It's, it's ridiculous. And sometimes they're on the ground when literally everything is a, just destroyed around them, probably in a, a 10 mile radius. But Kyle Chandler's there and 
he doesn't even have a bruise on his body. This well, guy. did he get in the refrigerator? Well, at one time, somebody's in a bathtub. Well, okay. that's all you need. Sometimes at one it's point, a fridge or a bathtub, any household appliance in a bathtub. So, right, um, you didn't know that, huh? Yeah. Didn't like this one as much. One and a half jaws from Ride the Movie Guy. Mm. Mm. Wow, that's that's surprising though, because it sounded like you were kind of recommending it. I think if, if, like I say, I think if you're looking for just seeing five monsters fight each other, you'll, you'll get some joy out of it. It is a little too long for sure. Two hours and 15 minutes is too long for oh, Godzilla. Wow. I got to see this one and see if I need to rebuke you. Whew. All right, Matt. Brings us to trivia. We always like to end the show with a little bit of fun here. Uh, and in honor of Dark Phoenix, Phoenix being a bird, we're playing bird movie trivia. So think of movies with various birds in the title. Okay. Bob, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first or let Matt K go first. There are steals, and if you get hung up on any one question, you get a trip into the fish tank for Fill Me In Phil. They do start out easy. I'll go first. Question one over to Bob. How easy can it get when you're thinking bird movie trivia? Here we go. Natalie Portman won an Oscar in which she played a ballerina in this 2010 movie. Oh, man. I have seen the movie. I, uh, There's a bird in the title. Yeah. I am stumped on it. I can't, can't remember that. Mm. Matt, a chance for a steal on question number one. What do you got? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Black Swan. Black Swan. Yeah. Right? One to nothing, Matt. I don't like a- this. Aronofsky. Yes. Uh, Darren Aronofsky. Great yeah. movie. Oh, it is a good movie. It yeah. is really good. Question two over to Matt K. Matt, in the Harry Potter movies, they use this bird to deliver mail. An owl. All right. Those were supposed to be the easy ones. So two to nothing, Matt. Here we go. Question three over to Bob. Name the actor who played Gordon Bombay, the head coach of the Mighty Ducks in all three of the Mighty Duck films. I'm sorry to say I never saw any of them. I have no idea. Oh, man, I envy you because I've seen at least two of them, and it was uh, it was Emilio Estevez. Oh. Good old Emilio Estevez. 3 nothing, Matt K. Boy, I, Bob's going to have a big comeback, I hope. I hope. <laughs> I wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> Question four over to Matt. Matt, Julia Roberts and Denzel Washington have starred in one film together. It came out in 1993. Name it. Well, it's bird movie trivia. It's got to be the Pelican Brief. All right, four to nothing. Are you, Bob- so, you look surprised. You're good. That yeah. I could, I'm not that good. I'm just having a good day. <laughs> hey, this is good. Question five over to Bob. What actor did the narration for the 2005 documentary March of the Penguins? Oh, uh, Morgan Freeman. Bob is on the board. Nice. It is four to one. Well done. Finally. Yes. At least I'm not going to get shut out. <laughs> Question six over to Matt. Matt, name the actor who played Goose in Top Gun. Oh, my God. Uh, um... Oh, my God. Hang on. Do I, can I just do the last name? Full name. Anthony Edwards. Whoa. Very good. Wow. Pulled that one out of my ass. All right. Five to one, Matt. Last two questions of the game. Matt's going to be a winner here. Bob, name the 1998 movie which starred Joaquin Phoenix, Vince Vaughn, Janine Gar- Garofalo, and was about a man befriending a killer 
after his best friend killed himself. That's wow. a tough one. It wow. is. These last two are always the toughest. You, you do have a lifeline. Might as well use it. I'll take a lifeline. Oh, Phil, question number seven. What was the name of that Joaquin Phoenix Vince Vaughn movie? All righty, Bob, your clue this week. The title is something that is used at a firing range so real birds don't have to die. Uh, clay pigeon. Got that one also. Nice. Five to that two. That was correct? Yes. That's the name of the movie? <laughs> yeah. Never heard of it? <laughs> wow. I can't believe I've never heard of it either. It is five to two. Last question of the game is over to Matt K. Name the classic 1968 movie starring Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton. It was about Allied soldiers staging a daring rescue during World War II. Uh, I'm going to jump in the fish tank here. Into the fish tank we go. Phil, what was the name of that Clint Eastwood, Richard Burton movie? Your clue this week, Matt, I dare you to get this right. I dare you to get this answer. Uh, damn it. Uh, I don't know. I got nothing. Dare to be stupid. It's actually a Weird Al song, not a movie title. Bob, you know this one offhand? think about it. Clint Eastwood, Richard Burton, and the clue was... And is this still the bird theme? Yeah, so there's a bird in the title. Mm. And Phil had a very big emphasis on dare, I believe. Yes. Hmm. Uh, I'm, lo I'm, I'm lost. I'm lost. Is it like Lonesome Dove or something? No. Where Eagles Dare. Oh, it's a good uh. Wow. It's a great Misfits song. Yeah. I never knew that Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton were ever in the same movie together. <laughs> so, I, uh, I didn't know Joaquin Phoenix and Janine Garofalo were in the same movie yeah, together. You see what that? you learn here listening to wow. Cinema Joe. Unbelievable. Um, Matt does win this one, 5-2, to two, virtual handshake. Yes, well done, Bob. Virtual handshake. Likewise, yes. very well done, Matt. Yeah, if it did came, come down to a tie, we call it a jawbreaker. This question uh, would have broke it up. Age of Joaquin Phoenix closest to? Matt, you got a guess? He's, he's probably nearing 50. I don't know if he's crossed the mark yet, so I'll, I'll put him right on the spot at 50. Lock him in at 50. Bob, you got a guess? 47. We would have gave that to Bob. 44 for Joaquin Only Phoenix. 44? Only 44. Wow. You're, you're aging him, Matt. I mean, he's did led you the life of a fifty-year-old? Yeah, I guess I mean, you saw the Joker trailer, right? I mean, he's he's getting up there. He's looking grizzled for forty-four. Yeah, crazy stuff. Uh, brings us to the end of a great jaw. First and foremost, we got to thank our guest Bob Hercules. Thanks for coming on the jaw. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. Uh, we also got to thank. Our engineer, the guy behind the glass, Phil me and Phil. Oh, yeah, always. Uh, best night of the week. Thank you guys so much for uh, letting me on. Hey, anything to plug, Phil? Uh, the same Your stuff Twitch? as always, Twitch. Um, yeah, uh, twitch.tv. If you look up Peachan Art, all one word. Uh, it's just a, a good time. Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays in the evening, uh, Chicago time. I don't know what it would be for, for you guys. Uh, if yeah, you're I think you can Google it. Yeah. yeah, it's on the website. So there you go. We also got to thank our sponsors. Yes, thanks to Lagunitas and the Chicago Podcast Co-op who help us get 
cool sponsors like them. If you would like to support Cinema Jaw, the easiest way to do that is leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And while you're there, just click subscribe. It's one extra click. It really helps us out. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt K. And, and keep, keep on John about, about the movies. movies. That's it. Cut.